This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. We're supposed to treat each other with honor, with respect, and with care and concern. That's, again, the words of Jesus. The principles is still the same when you flip it around and look at it from the other way. And we see that here. As you have done, as Edom, as you have done to Jacob, your brother, now it's going to be done to you. You've done all of these foul things to Jacob, your brother, Edom. Guess what? Now it's going to come back to you. What is our responsibility towards others as Christians? Can we just leave people alone and be morally neutral? No. Christ does not leave us room for that. Christians are called to actively treat others the way they would want to be treated. As we continue our study in Obadiah, we see that this is a principle that God teaches throughout His Word. But it also works the other way. You will reap what you sow, and just like Edom sowed wickedness against Judah, that's exactly what they would reap. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Obadiah, verse 11, for today's study. The Babylonian exile had already taken place. Now it's during Nehemiah's time and they're rebuilding. And God is using the prophet Obadiah to make this proclamation against Edom. Because it was during that time, as the Babylonians came down to, again, take Jerusalem, that we can see these very very things happening. Foreigners entering his gates, casting lots for Jerusalem. And even you were as one of them. So the first charge that God has is, and you guys did nothing. Nothing to help them. Now, historians say, yeah, but the Edomites did fight against the Babylonians, but they only fought against the Babylonians to save their own skin because the Babylonians also went against the Edomites. So again, yeah, they did fight, but not to save Israel. It was like, uh, it was way late at that point in time. So let's go on. Point number one, they did nothing. Point number two, we'll see here. But you should not have gazed, uh, and, and a good word for that is gloated. Okay, you should not have gloated on the day of your brother. In other words, when your brother, when, when, when Jerusalem was falling, when, when Judah was falling, Edom was, was gloating over it. <laughs> Maybe now we can go in there. What they didn't realize, no, God was going to take care of them at the same time. They were gloating about it. He says, you should not have gazed on your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah, the second thing I believe that God has here is this idea of gloating or rejoicing over the fact that Judah was falling. They stood by, did nothing. Secondly, they rejoiced. He said, you should not have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered, the. and here's the third one, You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor what? Laid hands on their substance in the day of calamity. So what's going on? The Babylonians are pretty much defeating Jerusalem, Judah and Jerusalem. They're pretty much in the midst of a battle. And the Edomites are going in there. Hey, we'll fight with you. But while they're fighting, they're looting. 
They're, they're taking as much as they can. So they're stealing from them in the process. Number one, they did nothing. They stood by. Secondly, they gloated or they rejoiced by what was going on. And now thirdly, they're actually stealing from them during the day of calamity. During all that's going on. Hey, while you're, uh, while you're, while you're down, uh, you know, hey, sorry you got hit by a car. I'm going to lift your wallet at the same time. That, that's in essence what's going on. And, and they gloated about the fact, well, you, you're crazy. I told you not to play in the freeway. But now that you got hit by a car, and I'm going to run over and I'm going to steal your wallet at the same time. So that's what they're doing in the day of calamity. So they've, they've stole, they, they, they did nothing. They rejoiced. They stole. Now, in verse 14, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped. Nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. So now, not only did they do nothing at first, then they gloated or rejoiced, then they stole during the battle, and now they stood on the outside. And if anybody from Judah tried to escape to the southeast, the Edomites either slew them or they captured them and gave them to the Babylonians to try and be friends with the Babylonians. But guess what? The Babylonians don't want to be friends with anybody. The Babylonians not only took the the people of Judah, but then also they continued on and took the people of Edom. So now, verse 15. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. Now, this is a, this is a great passage right here. The day of the Lord. We see the day of the Lord all throughout the word. We, we see the great day of the Lord. We see the day of the, the great day of the Lord usually means that great day, that final day of God's wrath upon all nations. You've got to be careful in the context of where you're reading it and how it's going to go. The day of the Lord can happen uh, many times. So again, God just finally says that's enough. And he may say that to you as an individual as you continue to walk in disobedience. He says, okay, today's the day of the Lord. We're going to get you straightened up. Today's woodshed day, okay? Uh, or it, it might be to a, a nation or a people group. The day of the Lord is God's disciplining time. Now, many times as we've shared in prophecy, remember, a prophet usually sees a situation, they get led by the Lord through the Holy Spirit to speak to that situation, but God in his great wisdom and sovereignty speaks not only to that situation, but he speaks to another situation that's going to be years down the road, and that same word might even be even more completely, thoroughly fulfilled even further down the road. So anytime the the prophets of the Old Testament make these prophecies, we can see sometimes it's immediate. It deals with Israel or Judah at that point or one of these nations. But many times there's also a second or a third or a greater fulfillment of it. So bear that in mind as we look at this. So verse 15, for the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near as you have done it shall be done to you. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? Does that sound kind of like a, what do they call it, the golden rule? I think it's one of those principles of God's kingdom that, again, it's a principle, okay? And I realize sometimes we do good things to people and uh, what is the uh, phrase? Uh, no good deed goes unpunished. I understand that sometimes that happens. Okay, 
But I do believe in the principle of God's word. That again, here, Jesus is saying, as you would have men do to you, then that's the way you ought to treat them. He's saying that in a very positive way. So in other words, how are we supposed to treat each other? We're supposed to treat each other with honor, with respect, and with care and concern. That's, again, the words of Jesus. The principles is still the same when you flip it around and look at it from the other way. And we see that here. As you have done, as Edom, as you have done to Jacob, your brother, now it's going to be done to you. You've done all of these foul things to Jacob, your brother, Edom. Guess what? Now it's going to come back to you. And again, we see this there. He says, because again, God, God won't be mocked. The, 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 the disciplining of God will be complete. It will be thorough. The unfortunate thing, I say unfortunate, and maybe you'll understand what I say by this. The unfortunate thing is God's disciplining isn't immediate. Now, I'm glad that it's not. I understand that. But it's also unfortunate that his disciplining for you isn't immediate. I, I like that he, he, he has patience with me. Okay? But the fact is, is what happens when the discipline isn't immediate let's be honest with each other. Sometimes we think we get away with it, right? And sometimes we think, well, I guess that wasn't too bad. But in reality, we know in in our heart because the Spirit is telling us, yeah, it is bad. And you need to repent of that. Oh, I will. I will. Later on. Maybe later. Maybe later. The long-suffering, the mercy of God is that that He wants us to repent on our own. He wants us to repent and serve him because we love him. Not because we're afraid we're going to get whacked. If, if our attitude of God is, is that he's up in heaven with, with a big stick and he's looking for an opportunity, just you, you step out of line, bam, I'm going to whack. Then, then we don't serve him with joy. We don't serve him with, with a fullness. We serve him with fear and trembling. Now, there is to be a fear and trembling. Please understand where I'm going with this. We need to be a people who, number one, Lord, I, I do this because I love you. I, I live my life for your glory because I love you. And, Lord, every once in a while I really mess up because I let my flesh get in the midst of that or I let the world get in the midst. Lord, forgive me of that. Cleanse me. I, I repent of that. Uh, give me strength to be able to walk on in that. That's why the long-suffering, the patience, and the mercy of God is even there. Again, it's his kindness that leads us, what, to repentance. It's his kindness. Okay, moving on. He says, The day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never Ben, the nations were going to come upon Edom in such a way that Edom would be to the point as though they had never been. Herod, King Herod, the, the whole family, the, the Herodian family, 
they were Edomites, okay? Uh, and again, they, because of that, they understood Judaism, and that's one of the reasons, I believe, why they were reigned in that area for, for so long. But by the time of that, that final conquest of Rome on, on Israel in 72 AD, we never hear of Edom again. None of you are offspring of Edom. Okay, We just know that. They were a nation, they were a people group that God said, enough's enough, and we're going to snuff you out. Okay, And that's what happened. He says, but, oh, here comes one of those but God things. Okay, Verse 17, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. And that's not on fire, no. They're going to be a fire. The house of Joseph, a flame. But the house of Esau shall be what? Stubble. And they shall kindle them and devour them. And no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. No argument, no yabbats, nothing about, no, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's it's a done deal. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowlands shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Shepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Let me stop right there. What he's saying there is a, a picture of a much larger Israel even than we see right now. In fact, it's a, it's a, it's an Israel that, that during the time of, of David was, was huge. And from the time of Solomon, when the nation started getting divided and cut up, it just kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Even when they came back from captivity, they didn't have that much land. So again, we look at the prophecy here. It's not yet been fulfilled that they also get all of that land to the south. So we look and see, okay, are we speaking here yet of that millennial reign of Christ when then they shall gain that? We're going to look at that in the next book that we'll look at in just a moment. But let's end this with verse 21. Then saviors, in the plural, shall come to Mount Zion. Now, don't get freaked out about that. Whoa, there's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the word actually is deliverers. Deliverers will come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Now let me ask you this. When it says deliverers will come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. Do you remember in the word it's speaking about the fact that you and I, in that millennial reign, are going to be judges and rulers? Maybe what he's speaking about there is that very thing. Again, during that millennial reign that judges and rulers, those believers during that time will come. The kingdom is going to be the Lord's. And so that's why I think that he's talking about that 
millennial reign of Christ. That after the wrath of God has been poured out completely on the earth, and again, Israel is restored for that season and time, for that thousand years, before that time, again, of that when, as, as Peter says, man, this earth is going to be devoured by fire. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. I think that that's what it's saying. And again, is that a hill that will die on? Is it, uh, is it necessary for your salvation? No. Uh, you're welcome to believe something different, and uh, I'll defend your right to be wrong. No problem. Uh, no. <laughs> No, no. So, take, uh, keep going to your left. A uh, uh, couple of more books to Zephaniah. Another cool name, Zephaniah. To the to the right, to the right. Yeah. Oh, oh. By the way, Obadiah means the uh, a worshiper of uh, Jehovah or Yahweh or a servant of Yahweh or Jehovah. Zephaniah. Uh, uh, he has the name of Yahweh hides or hidden by Yahweh. Okay, Zephaniah. Okay. Now, in the book of Zephaniah, these uh, the, these uh, three chapters that we've got here, they're, they're a summation of pretty much all of the post-exile prophets. Pretty much what uh, Zephaniah has in here, we read in some of the other um, uh, minor prophets that we've some of them we've already looked at, a few of them we've yet to look at. So uh, we're looking here, and again, Zephaniah, when we look at who he is, we understand in verse 1 that he actually comes from kind of a, a royal lineage here. And it says, The word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, one of the things we know about Josiah is he became a king in his early years. He, I mean, we're talking very early years. Anybody remember how old Josiah was when he was king? Eight years old. Eight years old. Uh, any of you have eight-year-olds in your house? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scary thought, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, scary thought. But uh, again, uh, he, re- he reigned uh, um, uh, till he was 31 years old. Zephaniah comes in and he just kind of eases into his message here. Uh, he says... I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. You know, it's kind of like, it's not like a soft blow. It's kind of like, boom, this is what's going to happen. God is going to utterly consume everything from the face of the land. He doesn't ease into, anybody ever bring you bad news and try to soften it up to you a little bit before they give it to you? Not that, that wasn't the gift that Zephaniah had. So uh, Zephaniah was like a, a true prophet. You just lay it out there and let somebody else deal with the pieces on it. Zephaniah says, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. There's going to be a cleansing time. I look at this and I say, wow, the, the wrath of God in the midst of all of this is coming. The fish of the sea, the, the birds of the heaven, man and beast. All of that. God says in verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
I will cut off every trace of Baal from the, this place. The names of the idolatrous priest with the pagan priest. In other words, when he says every trace of Baal from the place, that's all of the idolatry that was going on in Israel or in Judah at that time. Because though we know Israel was wicked and wicked and and continued to be wicked until God just took them out, Judah had these times of revival and these times of crashing and going back into to pagan worship and then times of revival. The unfortunate thing is most of the times of revival weren't a hundred percent. It was like we we cleaned up most of the land, okay, but not all of it. They would still leave a few high places of worship, a few of the little pagan areas. Josiah, during Josiah's time, there was a great revival in the land. There was a time that, again, Josiah saw and he understood what was going on and he called for a revival of the land and we understand that. But God is saying, you know what? If you don't turn, This is what's going to happen. It's going to be a a total annihilation of your land. He says, those who worship the host of heaven on housetops, that's not sitting outside and worshiping the Lord as you gaze upon, you know, the, the heavens and the stars. No. What this is, is those that dwelled or dealt, dwelt in, dabbled in, what's the word? Dabbled in this whole idea of astrology, also giving credence to other entities other than Jehovah God, and they would go on their housetops and worship these things, and there was all kinds of other pagan rituals that would be involved in that too that we won't get into here. Those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but also swear to Milcom. Now, the problem is, is some were coming in and they would be, oh, we worship you, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Israel. But then they're also worshiping this Ammonite God at the same time. God's not impressed with unpure worship. The word says he's a jealous God. He says, I'll have no other gods before me, beside me, in the same room with me. I am the Lord thy God. You will worship me. And what was going on is they found this very convenient way of going to church, going to temple on Saturday, going to synagogue on Saturday, and then doing all these other pagan things throughout the week, getting involved in in pagan issues all throughout the week and then coming together on the day of worship and worshiping the Lord. Aren't you glad that we're completely done with that and we don't see that anymore? Yeah, unfortunately, we see that quite a bit. We still see that. God's not impressed with unpure worship. And... I think that there's many times, many of us need to continually be repenting of that very thing. He says, those who have turned their, verse 6, those who have turned their back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. I see three things right here from verse um, verse 4, 5, and 6. Three things. One, those that are absolute pagan. Those that are absolute, I mean, I don't care anything 
about Jehovah God. I don't care about the things of God. I don't care, and, and bring it into today, I don't care about the things of Christ. I don't care about the church, anything. I'm just living my life as a pagan. And God says, I'm going to judge that. And then we have those that are playing church in, on one day of the week and being in the world, the other part, that unpure worship. And God says, I'm going to judge that too. And then I see a third one where he says, those who have turned back from following the Lord, those who had committed their lives to follow the Lord, but then they come back rather disappointed with the church, disappointed with life, disappointed with whatever, but they have turned and it says they've not sought the Lord. They're not even inquiring of him. From the book of Hosea to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the 12 minor prophets are rich with important prophecies, some pertaining to things that have already happened and some pertaining to things that are yet to come. Join us as Pastor David teaches through these books verse by verse. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Make sure and check out our Facebook page. Log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the Open Word Facebook page. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.